Well, this morning we're going to look into an important name for God, and that is Lord. It is translated from the Hebrew, which is Adonai, and from the Greek, Kurios. And in both of those names, it carries with it the idea of his lordship. Now, Lord is a term that people will use without thinking about its meaning. As a matter of fact, I hear on interviews all the time, someone will say, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus. And then nothing else in the interview reflects a life that recognizes Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's almost like the title, Lord, carries with it just the idea of this is a name that has no meaning. When we look in Scripture, there's a great deal of meaning to this title, Lord, in both Testaments. It carries with us some important understandings of who God is. And that's what I would like to reflect on this morning. Looking to this name, Lord, what does it mean? And how do we respond to that meaning that God demonstrates through his revelation throughout the scripture, both Testaments, as he refers to himself as Lord? Well, we're going to begin as we are each week with the revelation given by this name, Lord. And what we want to see first as we look into Scripture, the name Adonai or Kurios, both Testaments, it carries with it the idea of ownership and therefore authority. When the Scripture uses the term Lord, it's really talking about one who owns everything and therefore has authority over everything. Now, as we saw last week with the name Yahweh, in our English Bibles, Yahweh is translated with all capital letters, L-O-R-D, all in caps. That is the name Yahweh in our English Bibles. But we will often see the uppercase L and then the rest smaller case, O-R-D, and that is the word Adonai or Koryas in our Greek New Testaments. And that name communicates something essential for us to understand. That God is the owner of everything that he created. So, God is the owner of everything. Why is that important? With ownership in the scripture, there's the idea that one can do what they will with whatever they own. The scripture, sorry about that, my pinky hit the wrong slide. But what the scripture is sharing with us is in this discussion of ownership that God owns me. God owns the things that I think I own. God really does. God owns everything whether people recognize it or not. And therefore God has authority over all of those things to do as he pleases. The psalmist brought this out in Psalm 135, 5 and 6. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. So what it means is this. God makes choices about everything. And as Lord, he is free to do so. I get 
concerned when I hear people talk as though they give God permission to do things. That's a reversal. That's usurping the position of God. None of us can give God permission to do anything because God is the owner and therefore the one who is in charge. Often we will look at things and we will think, I own this. For instance, I might even say, I own this iPad. But guess what? God owns it, not me. And I need to view it as such. I need to understand that God has ownership of everything. I might think that I control something. I might think that it's mine. But God has simply entrusted that to me. And we're going to see what that means for us in just a little while. I need to understand that when I look at something and say, I'm in control of it, I have authority over it, that's an illusion. Only God has absolute authority, absolute control. And when God entrusts something to me and he allows me to enjoy it for a time, that's God's choice, God's prerogative. As Lord, he is owner. But there's something else that this word communicates. He is the overall master of everything. If God is the owner and in authority, then he is also the master. When we look in scripture, we find this term master, and it's an illustration of God's authority over people because it pictures for us one who has absolute authority and control over others. Slavery was an illustration of the master, and the one under the authority of the master throughout Scripture. Now, when we hear the term master, often we look at it very negatively because of the terrible institution of slavery that existed in our country. And it was a terrible thing. But it wasn't unique to the United States. When we look at slavery, it has been an institution of man from the time of the fall and sin as it entered the world. This relationship between master and slave was something that cropped up as people viewed themselves as owning other people. In reality, they never did. God owned the people. He is the master, but it was basically man's sinful usurpation of God's position as master. And they were raising themselves up to be like gods and thinking that they could own other human beings. This was an institution that existed for thousands and thousands of years. So when the Bible talks about God being master, what it's doing is presenting for us a picture that the people of the Bible times would have understood. It helped them to grasp that whole idea of authority. Because in the institution of slavery, there was an understanding of master and slave, where the master has absolute authority and control over others. That is the picture of God. But here's what darkens our understanding of the term master. As we've looked at the term master as it applies to human beings, often masters were selfish, devalued people, 
It was all about them and not about the people who were under their authority. God gives us a different picture of himself. God pictures himself as a loving master, a sacrificial master. As a matter of fact, Jesus is often referred to in the New Testament as the master, certainly referred to as Lord. And what did Jesus do? He was sacrificial in coming to live among us and to ultimately die for us. That's the picture of the master relationship as it's presented in God's word. So when we use the term Lord, what we're saying is, God, you own everything. And then secondly, what we're saying is, God, you have absolute authority over me to do with me as you will. That's what Lord means. And that's what we need to understand. There is coming a time, according to the word of God, where everyone will recognize Jesus' position as Lord. As a matter of fact, when we look in Philippians chapter 2, after it talks about Jesus coming and taking on human flesh and becoming a servant to the point of going to the cross and dying on the cross, it says this in verse 9 of Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, now look at this, every knee should bow. What does it mean to bow your knee? Bowing your knee means you are in a subservient position to Jesus. That you are recognizing his authority over you. So every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Substitute master, owner, for Lord, that's the concept. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We must recognize God's position over us. That we are not over him, but he is over us. At some point, everyone is going to recognize that. And here's the frightening thing about that. We can recognize Jesus' position now embrace him as our savior and find a relationship with God through Jesus our Lord or we can resist him refuse him we will still recognize him as Lord but we will recognize him as Lord at judgment when it is too late to enter into a relationship with the father at some point every knee will bow every tongue will confess but timing is everything. What is essential for us to recognize is the need to recognize Jesus' position now rather than later. Because now it brings you into right standing with God. Something else that we find in this name, Lord. He is the one who deserves our respect and our submission. You know, I've heard people use the Lord's name in vain. And when they use the Lord's name in vain, what are they doing? They're showing contempt, a lack of respect. God is crystal clear in the word of God that we are not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Why? 
because it is not recognizing his position of authority and respect that he deserves. So the Word of God tells us that we are not to show a contempt toward him. When we look in Scripture, we find the prophet Malachi talk about the disrespect that people had for God by bringing blemished sacrifices and placing them on the altar. And look at the illustration that Malachi gives. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. So do you, catch or what, do you picture what's going on in this text? Israel had a religious system that brought sacrifices to God. And it had become so familiar to them that they discounted its meaning. And they were going through the motions of offering sacrifices to God. Now here God is identified as the Lord of hosts. In other words, the master of the heavenly armies. That's really the concept that's being expressed in that. And yet the priests who were supposed to be leading the people in worship basically despised that name. They weren't recognizing him as Lord. They were relegating him to a place in their life that had no real meaning. And so it goes on to say, after he says, you have despised my name, you have done this by offering polluted food on my altar. You know what the scripture is talking about? It's talking about them going through these mechanics of religion without any thought about who God is. But then it goes on to say, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table is to be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? What's going on in Malachi is they would have an animal that was supposed to be dedicated to God. As a matter of fact, in the idea of sacrifice, the animals belong to God already. So you would bring that which belonged to God and in recognition that this animal is God's, you would sacrifice it to him to follow what God had prescribed in Scripture. But what they were doing is saying, you know what, this lame animal has no marketable value, but it's good enough for God. So how can you look at God as Lord and give him something that is virtually worthless. When we look at it, we can fall into that same trap, can't we? We give God the leftovers. We say, yes, Jesus is Lord, but he's only going to get this from me. That's what was going on then. And I would submit to you it's an easy trap to fall into, and it can go on now. Something else. When we really understand and respect and revere the name of the Lord, it's going to be reflected in my obedience right here and right now. John writes this, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. God as Lord is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong. My responsibility in responding to God is to practice what he has said is right and to refrain 
from those things that God has determined is wrong. When I recognize Him as Lord, I get that. And I will live accordingly. Peter reminded us of this. If God is the one who makes all of the rules, if God is the one who says this is right and this is wrong, basically it is my pride that causes me to resist Jesus as Lord, God as Lord. It takes a humble heart to submit yourself to the Lord. And so the scripture reminds us of this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If I want to respond to the Lordship of Christ and the Lordship of the Father, I have to humble myself to do so. If I think too highly of myself, I'm not going to respect or respond to who God is. It takes humility to place ourselves under the authority of God's Lordship. So what happens when I humble myself? Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. You know, the amazing thing about grace is this. Grace is God giving us something that we have not earned. But the only way that I can receive grace is to be humble. If I come to God and say, yes, you are Lord, but look at the things that I've done to earn your favor, then I have missed the concept of grace and pride has kicked in and I have just nullified the whole concept of grace. I can't come to God and say, I did this, so you owe me this. I have to come before God and say, I bring nothing to the table. You own everything anyway. I am placing myself under your authority. That is the idea of coming to God with humility. And when we do so, we can cast, verse 7, all of our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. We can experience the fullness of God's comfort and care when we're humble enough to receive it. Something else that we're doing each week is looking at our response to the Lordship of God in this case or whatever name God reveals. So let's talk about our response. If, if He is the owner of everything, if He is the master, if He is the one who deserves all of my respect, all of my submission, then how do I respond? Well, first of all, our outlook on everything belonging to God. When I have something, I need to hold it with an open hand. You know what that means? Everything that I have belongs to God, so if He gives it, my open hand receives it. And if He takes it away, my open hand lets it go. Now that's easy when it comes to some material things that we don't really care about. But what about the other material things that maybe have become very precious to us. I get a brand new car and I park it on a parking lot away from everybody else like I'm supposed to. And the wind kicks up and the cart blows across the car parking lot and bam! Right into the car. And I look at it and I go, oh! <laughs> or I can look at it and say, you know what? That's God's car. 
And if he wants a shopping cart to run into it, the shopping cart runs into it. Now, that doesn't mean that I just let it go. It means I go and get it fixed and all of that. But God owns it, not me. And it's freeing to look at things like that. Parents, when it comes to our kids, they belong to God. So I raise them with an open hand. If my kid decides I have to move across the country or across the world to serve God, with an open hand I say, go. Serve God in the way that he calls you. This is a perspective that we must have if we really believe that as Lord, he is the owner of everything. My job, my church, my health, whatever I have, that belongs to God. And so I have to receive from him what he chooses because he is my loving master. And he has a purpose behind the things that happened to me. That's the outlook that we need to have. Are you a believer? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Here's a perspective from the New Testament about God and about the lordship and ownership of my body. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Now, look at the next words. You are not your own. Wow. If Jesus is Lord, I am not my own. I'm not calling the shots. I'm not the one who determines what will be or won't be. I belong to God. Now, in the context of this passage, it was talking about people in the church at Corinth who were engaging in sexual immorality. And Paul's point was, when you take your body and you have extramarital relations, you're taking what belongs to God and you're using it for immoral purposes. You can't do that. Why? Look at verse 20. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. If my body belongs to God, I need to think in those terms. Really, when we look at Scripture, we need to understand that God owns everything, including me. Here's another perspective. Not only does God own me, but God owns the people around me. So, how do I treat the other people that God owns? It's easy for me to fall into judgment and to look at another person who maybe I perceive as doing wrong and to write them off, to reject them. Look at what we're reminded of in the book of Romans. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Now, what Paul was doing was using an illustration from Roman law. If a slave of another master did something that I perceived was wrong, I had no right 
if I weren't his master, to judge what he had done. I couldn't speak about it. I couldn't punish them. I could go to his master and talk to him, but I could go to no one else. Boy, that's kind of solid counsel for us, isn't it? If a fellow believer does something that I think is wrong, rather than telling all of the other fellow believers and judging them, I give it to God. Because I understand his ownership. God owns that person, not me. They are answerable to God, not me. That's the concept that we see in the scripture. So there are multiple, multiple applications of God's ownership in my understanding of it. And here's one more. My talents, my gifts, my abilities all belong to God. You know, it's very easy for us to look at something we're good at and say, I did that. It's my talent, my ability to use as I please. We're reminded of something in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? God entrusts things to us as stewards. You know what that means? Whether it's possession, whether it's relationships, whether it's abilities, whether it's monetary, material things, all of it belongs to God and he has entrusted it to me as a steward. And a steward basically is somebody who watches over what belongs to somebody else. In one of the places that I love to vacation, there are some amazing houses on this lake. Some of the people who own the houses are there two months out of the year. But they have these massive edifices and there's a caretaker, a steward, who is there to make sure that everything is properly maintained in the house. I sort of look at that sometimes and think, man, that would be a great gig. <laughs> I gotta make sure that his 86-inch TV works properly. <laughs> gotta make sure that his boat and his fishing gear are tuned up and dialed in. And the only way I know that is to take it out. But guess what? That steward, it's not his stuff. What's going to happen if he says, you know, I'm going to have all of my friends over and have a huge party at the house? Not mine. I can't do that. What if he says, I'm going to take the boat out and see how it does going across rocks? I want to see how strong the hull is. Not being a good steward. Do you catch the idea? God has entrusted to us what he has entrusted to us and we're responsible for it but we don't own it we simply manage it that brings us to our next part we need to obey the scripture talks about our obedience to God obey his commands because he is Lord 
You know, God unapologetically presents himself as the one who gives commands, sets boundaries. As Lord, he has every right to express what he wants from us. And whether we recognize that or not, it doesn't change the reality of God's authority. If I really understand the lordship of God, I will yield to his commands. Now, unbelievers who disregard what God commands find wrath. In Romans 2.8, it says this, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Can you go off the rails and disregard that God is Lord? You sure can. God gives you a long leash. He allows you to do that, but there are consequences in doing that. If you're an unbeliever, there is an eternal consequence of separation from God and experiencing the fullness of his wrath and fury. For believers, yes, it's even possible for us to do that. And what we face is discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I belong to God. I cross the boundaries. God will do something to let me still feel the, the, the sting of my decision. Because he loves me. Because I belong to him. Parents, when your kids are not disciplined, what happens to them? They become brats, right? Bottom line. Well, guess what? Even adults can be brats. When we disregard God, God disciplines us because we're his children and he loves us. So he'll do what it takes to get our attention. As followers of God, we have to remember he has the right to do so. Finally, only the Lord deserves my devotion. When I look at God being my master, here's the truth. You can't have two masters. You can't be devoted to one and call him master and then be devoted to another and call him or her master. You can't do it. Jesus made this crystal clear when he said this to his disciples. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, and in this case, Jesus used the example of money. When I really understand the lordship of Jesus, the lordship of God, I see him as my master. He has the fullness of my love and my devotion. I will follow him as he sees fit. We need to be careful that we don't split our allegiance between God and someone or something else. This morning we have seen 
that God is Lord. That God owns everything. That He is the only Master. That He is the one deserving of my reverence and submission. I'm to use this as a standard to look at my life and ask myself, where can I grow in my recognition of the Lordship of God in my life? Don't think about other people and how they're doing with it. Look to yourself and ask yourself this question. Am I serving two masters? Am I usurping God's position as master over my life or the life of my children or in some other area? Do I hold too tight to my possessions? Or do I recognize that they are God's to do with as he chooses? As followers of God, understanding his lordship, his mastery, is essential. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for allowing us to go through this this morning. God, help us to be followers that recognize that Jesus is Lord, that you are indeed Lord, that we are to follow you as you see fit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.